2: This weekend what I want to do for us is to have us to look at a very significant passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. I'm going to do something a little differently than I normally do it in terms of my teaching. I'm going to focus primarily on one passage this weekend. We're going to break apart the 19 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 30 because it's an amazing story in the life of David that teaches us something about how to stay encouraged in our lives. Let me read for you these verses, then I'll come back and give you some perspective of the historical context of it in just a moment. But listen as I read from the New Living Translation. Translation, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children, everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, or from Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after these band raiders while I catch them? And the Lord told him, "'Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you.' So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to the brook Besor, but 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink." They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights before long his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Karathites and the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. "'Will you lead me to this band of raiders?' David asked. The young man replied, "'If you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them.' So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night, And the entire next day until evening, none of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. What an amazing story we find here. I want to share with you five lessons from this story that will help you to stay encouraged in your life. The first lesson is very simple, but yet necessary and profound for us. And that is this to remember that discouraging moments are part of life. Now, this seems to be a very obvious statement, but we do need to be reminded of it because all of us have a tendency to view life and to view the world from one vantage point, and that is our own vantage point. We tend to be very myopic and to think when we're going through trouble that we're the only people in the world facing it. There are many times in your life and my life when we find ourselves in the midst of something very discouraging that we can say, God, why are you picking on us or why is life picking on us? It seems as we are the only people going through stuff like this. We become extremely myopic. And I want to remind you today that as we see in this story, David himself, who was a God-ordained, God-called man, a man that is described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, David himself experienced some very intense times of discouragement in his life. And if David experienced it, you and I are going to experience it as well. We can go through person after person in the Bible, folks like Abraham and Joseph. We go into the New Testament and find people like Peter and Paul, and they all went through discouraging moments in life. And in this particular story of David's life, we see a lot of different circumstances that are coming against him. Let me give you the context of 1 Samuel chapter 30 so you understand what's going on in this environment. First of all, David at this time in his life is running from King Saul. Saul is the king of Israel and Saul wants to kill David because he's very jealous of him. So David is spending day after day and month after month and year after year running around in the wilderness, hiding in caves because Saul is trying to destroy him, trying to take his life. It is so bad that David actually has to go down into the territory of the Philistines to find refuge from Saul. Now think about that for a moment. The Philistines were enemies of Israel. The Philistines represented that group of people that David had confronted when he slew Goliath. And so now David is going to his enemies to seek protection from an enemy. That's when the enemy of your enemy is your friend. So he's down in the Philistine territory. And he's having to be very shrewd in this environment because he doesn't want anybody to realize what's going on here. And so he's trying to be very, very cautious and concerned. He's he's living on edge. He's always looking over his shoulder because perhaps Saul will come after him and find him. Perhaps the Philistines will turn against him. He's living in this time and he writes many of his psalms during this season. Many of the Psalms where David talks about, God, where are you? And why have you forsaken me? And I'm surrounded by my enemies. And all these kind of Psalms that represent the pain that David was facing in his life. He's in a place of great discouragement. But now something else happens. The Philistines had given David a particular territory. They'd given him a little village to live in. The village was called Ziklag. Say that with me, Ziklag. Ziklag was where the Philistines said David you can live there with your 600 men these are your loyalists that are there and you can surround yourself with these folks live in this territory we won't bother you there and so they give they'd given him Ziklag And while David had been away on a a potential battle with the Philistines uh, as an ally of the Philistines and had been sent back home, while he'd been away, a group of people called the Amalekites had actually come in to David's camp at Ziklag, had raided this camp, had taken off all the wives, all the sons and daughters, had plundered the camp, and had burned it with fire. notice when they arrived back, David and his men, what happens here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 3 and 4. When David and his men saw the ruin, and realized what had happened to their families. They wept until they could weep no more. Now, you would think that was the worst part of the story, but it gets worse from here. In fact, notice with me verse number 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, and notice what happens next. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of doing what? Of stoning him. So not only has he cried out all of his tears, he has nothing else to cry, but now the men that were his loyalists have turned against him and said, David, we're going to kill you. You've been a lousy leader to us. It's over with. You're done. This is one of the lowest points in David's life. David faced discouragement. The second lesson that we learn from the story is that when when you do feel discouraged, you have to understand that what you do during your discouraged moments will impact your destiny. Discouraging moments are what I call destiny moments. Because when you're discouraged, you make the choices, you make decisions, right? You're going to make a choice when you're discouraged to go in one of two directions. You'll either be detoured from God's designed destiny for your life. And I've seen so many people, when they went through times like this, instead of turning toward God, they actually turned away from God and ran from God and got angry about God in their life and frustrated with their circumstance and situation. So they, they ran from God instead of running to Him. They detoured their destiny. And I've seen other people on the other side of this coin who turn in the right direction. They actually become more deeply determined to follow God and something in them in the midst of their discouragement causes them to go toward their God-designed destiny. It's true for David. It's going to be true for you and me. And David made a decision at this particular point in time in his life. He decided something and fortunately he made the right decision. But what you do when you're discouraged makes a big difference in your life. Be careful when you're discouraged because your decision and your discouraged moments will determine where you end up in your destiny. It impacts your destiny. And then number three, the third point uh, we learn from the stories, that in your discouraged moments, God's encouragement is available. When you're discouraged, what do you need? Think with me for a moment. What is the opposite of discouraged? Encouraged. So when you are discouraged, what do you need? You need to be encouraged. Think of those times in your life or maybe even right now in your life. And in a moment of discouragement, you want to be encouraged. And generally, where do we look to or what do we look to for encouragement? We look to people around us. But sometimes you can look around for the encouragement that you need from people and realize nobody's there to encourage me. And that was the situation here. David was surrounded by 600 men, but out of those 600 men, nobody was encouraging him. In fact, they're talking about stoning him. Why? Because they have their own set of problems. They've lost their family as well. And so David is in this situation with nobody there to help him. No one there to speak some words into his life. But he realized something. He realized that he's got to respond a different way because people are not going to help him. There will be times in your life that people will not or cannot help you. Look at what David did. Notice verse number six. Notice his response in this situation. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But read it with me. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I want to read this from the King James Version. Listen to the difference of the translation. I'm going to draw these together in just a moment. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. What a powerful word there. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David, what's the word say there? encouraged. What's the next word? Himself himself in the Lord his God. The New Living Translation says that David found strength in the Lord his God. The King James Version renders that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Both of those are appropriate, accurate translations. Found strength, encouraged. The Hebrew word actually means both of those things, to find strength, to find encouragement. It means to bind up and establish. It means to rescue from something. It means to be sure or certain of something. So David came to a place where he was rescued from his discouragement. He bound himself up with strength on the inside. He was encouraged in the Lord, his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. What does that mean? To understand what it means, I need to first of all tell you what it doesn't mean. Because true, in, true encouragement in times like this is not a matter of just giving yourself a pep talk. It was not as though David said, okay, buddy, you can do this. You're the man. You can make this happen. No, it was nothing like that at all. And so what did he do? How did he encourage himself in the Lord as God? What exactly did David do in that moment? What does that mean? I'm sure I can't tell you everything that it means. I don't know. I wasn't there to tell you exactly. I can report to you exactly what David did. But I have some ideas of what David did from the text here. I'm going to give you four things that we think that David did. It seems clear in Scripture what he did in this moment of encouraging himself. Number one, he remembered that God was present. When you're discouraged and you're not getting encouragement from others, remember that God is present. Remember God's presence. The Bible says in verse 7 that he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring me the ephod, so Abiathar brought it. So there was a priest still in the camp. And so David realizes, I don't have any people to support me or encourage me, but the priest is still here. God is still here. God is still in this camp. God has not left me. God has not deserted me. I am not alone. Even though these men are talking about stoning me, God is still with me, and God is still for me. The second thing is to request God's wisdom. In discouraging moments, we will often say something like this. I don't know what to do. How do I handle this? We ask questions that reveal our lack of wisdom. Because when you're discouraged, it's like being in a maze that you can't see your way out of. Notice what, he, what happens in verse number 8 at 1 Samuel 30. Then David asked the Lord. He requested this of God. He asked the Lord. Should I chase after this band of robbers? Will I catch them? So he's inquiring of God. Now, it's important to understand how David did this. The Bible says he called for the priest, Abiathar the priest. He says, bring the ephod, okay? Now, the ephod was a part of the garments of the priest that they would carry with them, a part of their vestments. And in the ephod was a little pocket that had two stones. The two stones were called Urim and Thummim. It means lights and perfections in Hebrew. What the high priest would do is they would bear before their heart and before the presence of God, they would bear these stones. And when someone would ask a question of the high priest, the high priest would inquire of God and they would use these stones to help determine what the right answer was. And no one knows exactly how this worked. Perhaps these stones would light up in a certain way to give an answer from God. Or perhaps if you sort of like heads or tails, you kind of one side meant one thing and the other side meant another. But the point being is that God was present to give direction. Listen to me if God made sure that the people of Israel had direction back in those olden days I promise you you can know that God will provide direction for you today okay the Holy Spirit is in you the Urim and the Thummim the lights and perfections they're inside of you it's called the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you the Holy Spirit is there to help you get out of stuff he is your helper he is the one that will give you wisdom. So David said, God, I don't know how to get out of this. I'm in over my head. The corn stalks are higher than I can see around. I can't get out of this maze. I need you to help me. He inquired, what should I do? And the Bible reminds us in James chapter 1, verse 5, if you need wisdom, if you didn't acknowledge you need wisdom, you need wisdom way more than you think you do, okay? If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. When you're discouraged, it's important to not only know that God is with you, but know that God has a word for you. He has a word of instruction for you. The third thing you do is receive God's promises. Verse 8 again Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of robbers? Will I catch them? It's, what do you want me to do, God? I don't know what to do here. And the Lord told him, God spoke and said, yes, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. That is a promise, isn't it? Okay." God said, David, I know it looks discouraging right now, but I want to tell you something. Get up and go after those folks that have robbed you. And I promise you this, the situation is going to turn around. You have my promise. David received the promise of God. The psalmist David, the very same man who's going through this, wrote in Psalm 119, verse 50, these words, Your promise does what it? Revives me. When I'm discouraged, your promise revives me. It comforts me in all of my troubles. The fourth thing that you see that happened here in the story is that you have to respond with faith in God's power. That's how you're encouraged. You respond with faith in God's power. Verse 9 says, so David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook and they They got up and they did something. They responded in faith to what God had asked them to do. Now, by the way, when they responded, they had not yet seen the end result. But they started taking steps of faith in the right direction based upon God's promise. When God puts a promise in your heart, start walking in the direction of your promise. Amen. What do you think would have happened if David had not encouraged himself in the Lord as God that day? What would the story look like if David had not done this? The story would be very different. We would not have probably the story of David in the Bible. Had he fallen into his discouragement, he would have detoured from God and missed his destiny. That's why the decision he made was so important. The fourth thing, fourth lesson that we learn from 1 Samuel chapter 30 is that encouraged people become inspired people. It's important to notice what happened to David. When we first meet him in verse chapter 30, He's discouraged, correct? He encourages himself in the Lord, so he moves from discouragement to encouragement. But then there's another thing that happens. He moves from encouragement to inspiration. From discouragement to encouragement to inspiration. That's a very important step because inspiration is, again, when you get up and start doing something, coming out of your discouragement into your encouragement. Now I'm inspired to do something that I was not inspired to do before. See, previously when we met him, he is all down. He's cried out all of his tears and his people are talking about stoning him. But after he receives a promise from God, he gets up and he goes after the adversary, after those who have stolen from him. He somehow rallies, and now they're once again ready to go to battle with you. That's an amazing leadership lesson. It only happened by the fact that he was now encouraged and inspired. Notice chapter 30, verses 17 and 18. He goes after them, he engages them in battle, and David fought them from dusk Notice this, from dusk until the evening of the next day, that's over 24 hours in the battle, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that picture? Those guys running off through the desert on camels. And David, notice this, David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. And just forget the two wives part, okay? (laughs) That's another lesson for another day, all right? discouraged, encouraged, inspired. i tell you something. You know somebody's inspired when they fight for 24 hours straight. There's an inspiration that occurs in your life when you get encouraged that can only come from God. There's an encouragement. Encouragement, that word... Inspiration, that word is a word that means to be breathed into. It's God breathed, that God breathed something into David that allowed him to fight this battle and not only fight it, but to win the battle again. Let me go to the last point. Very important final point I want to give you today out of this passage. Listen closely. Your greatest, your place of greatest discouragement can become the platform for your greatest promotion. David didn't realize it at the time. He didn't realize it. But the, the time of his greatest discouragement, he's actually really close to his greatest victory and really close to his greatest promotion. The book of 1 Samuel has 31 chapters. Okay, We've been studying chapter 30. Okay, So there's one more chapter to be written in this book. David didn't know this at the time. But chapter 31 would be the very chapter where David's David's biggest problem is going to be solved. Because by the time we get to chapter 31, not only has he now returned from Ziklag, returned, I should say, to Ziklag, having gotten everything back. All his men got everything back. There's been this amazing victory that's been won. He's defeated the Amalekites who had raided his camp. He's back in Ziklag again. But he doesn't realize that his biggest problem is about to be, so- about to be solved. And his biggest problem were not the Amalekites. His biggest problem was solved. That was his biggest, the whole reason he's even down in the Philistine territory and living in Ziklag is because of Saul. Saul is the problem and, and, and two times we know of David had had the opportunity of killing him and he said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed, I'm going to leave this up to God. But David didn't realize at his moment, are you hearing me this, mo- this morning? His moment of greatest discouragement was just one step away from his greatest victory. Had he quit in his moment of greatest discouragement, he would have missed his greatest victory because in chapter 31, Saul is killed. Saul is put to death, and David didn't realize when he was in this moment that he was just about to experience the greatest breakthrough of many years in his life that would propel him to the point that he becomes king of Judah and then king over all of Israel. He becomes the second king, the one through which the Messiah, the lineage of Jesus is marked of the line of David. And so we understand that he's in this, this very, very critical point. It became a platform for his promotion. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 1. We've gone past chapter 31, last chapter of 1 Samuel. We're in the first chapter of 2 Samuel. After the death of Saul. After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days where in? Where? The place of his greatest discouragement is now the place of his greatest promotion. Anybody seeing this this morning? Don't curse the place you're in right now.
1: The Amalekites.
2: The Amalekites, he spent two days in Ziklag. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from, David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man told him, the camp of Saul. What happened, David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. The man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead, Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. It was the moment that David realized all of my fugitive days are over with and it put him in position to be recognized as the next king of Israel. Sometimes your greatest moments of discouragement come right before, are you hearing me today? Right before your greatest breakthrough.